Welcome to episode 50 of Contested Catch. Yes, that's right. It's our 50th episode. I am excited and thankful to be reaching this milestone with all of you guys and you, Jeff. Let's get right into it, man. How are you on our 50th episode? Uh, no, I'm doing pretty well. Um, you know, last night's game's a little bit of a bummer, but I mean, whatever. My fantasy team's 5-0, and so there's still a 5-0 and for episode 50. <laughs> There you go. That is very true. Uh, I'm I'm happy for you. Um, and you know, before we go any further, let me just say thanks to those of you that have been along the ride since episode one. Um, you know, we actually technically have many more than 50 episodes, but in season one, we were kind of doing episode, you know, five, part one, part two, part three. But alas, thank you guys that have been with us for so long now. Um, and we're glad to have everyone that's joined up along the way. This has been a really fun ride. 50 episodes is cool to say, but we're not slowing down. We're not stopping anytime soon. So with that said, keep keep with us and we'll keep grinding for you. Um, so Jeff, today we are talking our week five recap, waiver wire coverage, and fantasy football storylines, of course. But before we get into that, I want to get a sense from you, Jeff. I think everyone will be curious. What has been your favorite part of the first 50 episodes of Contessa Catch? Yeah, I think one of my favorite moments was when Goodwill Hunting cracked the top uh, movie list for the 2010s. Oh, it was just really nice to see. Like, that's one of my favorite movies, so it's really cool to see it transcending time and space. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. I love that. Yeah, Kaz has absolutely had... Uh, some of the best moments of the first 50 of Contested Catch. So shout out Kaz, uh, shout out Goodwill Hunting. On a little more serious note, um, I mean, we've just had some incredible guests on here. Evan Silva, Hayden Wing, JJ Zacharyson. Like, I mean, just some like, fantastic people that we've been able to talk with, pick their brains and bounce ideas off of. Well, well said. Um, really, I mean, that's what's probably the most fun episodes for us have been when we've been able to have someone new on as well as old friends um, you know, you're spot on that. That's a great thing that we've been able to do through 50 episodes. We're going to continue to do that, uh, going forward as well. For me, I would probably say my favorite part was wrapping up season one, uh, with our Super Bowl coverage. That was just a really fun episode. We got to have uh, backdoor Bert on, we had Kaz on. That was probably the first milestone was completing season one. Now to come through 50 episodes, it's really cool. So I'm right there with you though. Um, this has been a great ride so far. And, and let's get into the, today's episode, Jeff. So like you already alluded to, unfortunately, last night's game, the first Tuesday night uh, game of the season, the Bills lost to the Titans. Um, unfortunately, you know, we were really hoping we were going to get a 5-0 and Bills team at our 50th episode. It would have been pretty poetic, I think, uh, just because Jeff and I are both Bills fans. But, you know, I hate to kick things off on a down note, but let's just get it out of the way. Uh, the Bills sucked last night. And we're still a 4-1 heading into Monday afternoon showdown with uh, Kansas City in week six. But Jeff, I want to start by getting your your takeaways against the Titans. It was, Yeah, it was bad. I think this is Sean McDermott's fourth year. And this is like maybe just the worst full team performance I think uh, we've seen since he became the coach. I mean, maybe that Saints game a few years ago. I was also beat down, but just like in terms of all three phases, it was, it was sloppy. The energy wasn't there. Um, I know we had, it was a really weird week of injuries, but it was just like not the crisp disciplined team where you've grown used to under McDermott. Um, you know what happens on to Kansas city. I think the bright side is like, if this was Josh Allen's worst game of the year, 
and he still wasn't that bad. So if like if this is almost what his floor is, I mean that's like that is like a silver lining. Is that if this game like is Josh Allen's floor, you know, this is gonna be the new bad Josh. Like we then this offense really does have like a pretty high ceiling and high floor, which is like also not what we're used to with the Bills. Josh actually I thought looked pretty good. The the two the two interceptions are misleading because the first one was um, a, a pass that hit, I think it was Gabe Davis Roberts. in the chest, bounced up in the air. Uh, Andre Roberts, who also had a, um, a fumble on special teams to really ice the game. Also usually isn't playing wide receiver. Exactly. So it hits him right in the chest, pops up in the air, gets picked. Um, the second interception was really bad, and that was a really that was a killer. That ball might have been tipped at the line. It's, it was it was really, really? I didn't it was see that really t- it was super yeah and it was like really tough to see because it was like looked like it was if it was it was a glance but it does look like the wobble of the ball like shifted as the de- went past the defender's outstretched hand so it like it might have been tipped I'm not sure I mean yeah that that's worth another examination I was watching live and so my takeaway was it was the probably probably the worst throw I've seen by Josh Allen all season uh, because it was just I mean like twenty yards short of the receiver so that actually makes some sense Jeff but like you said if this is Josh Allen's floor we're encouraged because hey if I told you at the start of the season we're gonna start four and one uh, heading into Monday night against Kansas City I think we'd all take it so you know a bummer Tennessee's a good team um, this is a long season so we'll take it. Um, Let's move on now, Jeff, to talk a little bit about our DFS recap. And, you know, the last couple of weeks we have been reporting back great news, um, really strong results from using our optimizer uh, tool that's on contestacatch.com forward slash DFS. Um, This week, not so much. You know, unfortunately, we'll talk a little bit about we'll talk a good bit about the injury itself. But obviously, Dak getting injured was a big blow to a lot of our lineups. Um, it was kind of a weird slate. Neither you, you know, neither you nor I were super excited about the prospects this week. Um, however, we, you know, tell us, tell us how we did. I think it was overall a pretty uh, reasonable outcome, all things considered. Yeah. So out of our 150 max entry, I mean, 39 of them did place in the money, which is like slightly above the average hit rate. We were just really missing any of those top end performances that are the money makers and Again, considering that Dak was, you know, made up 20% of our lineups. And again, we just didn't, for every reason, just could not get a good feel for the slate. I mean, it's fine. You know, you're going to have down weeks like this. So thankfully we had a couple of really good weeks back to back to, uh, you know, easily sustain a couple of these. If, I mean, hopefully this is our, you know, one of the few, but, you know, that's why you want to hit big now and then. Yeah, Jeff, I mean, I told you all week, I said, we have play Chase Claypool in every single lineup. <laughs> Obviously, just kidding, but we'll talk about Claypool in a minute. But yeah, you know, like you said, uh, it's it's kind of like the Bills, man. You know, you, you're going to have down weeks. Um, if you're going to completely throw the book out the window when you have a down week, um, you know, then you're I think you're doing it wrong. You want to learn from your mistakes and also just recognize reality. So we're doing that. Uh, we're on to week six. Now, let's take a look at week six, uh, starting with waiver wire. With running backs, obviously, the waiver wire is big because running back is such a fragile position. 
And we saw this, uh, you know, come true again, unfortunately, in Minnesota with Dalvin Cook. So he went out with a groin injury. Um, I would say I am not certain by any means that he misses this week. Um, apparently he felt good, according to Mike Zimmer. Um, I think they were they were talking about should they rest him through the bye, this sort of thing. Alexander Madison obviously looked phenomenal. Uh, 20 carries over 100 yards rushing. Again, a solid receiver. Did not convert that fourth and short that Dalvin Cook probably would have, but alas. And then there's Mike Boone, who was the Week 17 hero last week or last year, excuse me. And Week 16, he had that huge disappointment. But we know that he's got some pop in those legs as well. Really explosive player, Jeff. Uh, how are you approaching the Minnesota backfield that is more than likely on waiver wires going into Week Six? I'm not putting that much on if I'm really desperate for a running back this week, I might go a little bit heavier on Madison with the hope that Dalvin cook sits and you can get kind of like that high end RB two lower end RB one out of him. Um, you know, I guess even maybe the chance of boom week, but you know, like you said, there's sounds like there's even a decent chance Dalvin cook plays this week. And if not, then he'll be back after the buy and Madison just goes back to being his handcuff role. Mike Boone. I mean, I could see him definitely get full, Bolstering a little bit of the Madison work, but I don't think he's really worth putting anything more than a um, empty bid in on. Yeah, I actually think that I would approach this. I mean, Madison is owned in just over fifty percent of ESPN leagues. I would put this as a great time to sell high on Alexander Madison if at, if you at all own him, because the reason is we aren't sure of the severity of the injury for Cook. It could be a nothing, and you know then you're just having Madison sit on your bench again. Uh, for weeks and weeks but the other thing is with that week seven buy right there people might not realize it but you know he he's probably a bet for maybe some flex rb2 consideration this week considering we're expecting some mike boone and you know dalvin cook might play like just if you had to put a projection on i'd probably put him at lower end rb2 numbers uh just because we don't really know the situation and then the buy in week seven i would probably sell alexander madison and i would think that mike boone if Dalvin Cook sits, I think Mike Boone is probably a, a sneakier play for uh, GPP tournaments this this weekend um, against Atlanta. It should be probably a pretty high-scoring affair, and Mike Boone's a really explosive player. So we shall see. Um, Jeff, let's move over to the Chargers' backfield now. Um, you know, Obviously, that backfield faced a, an injury just a few weeks prior with Austin Eckler. Um, Josh Kelly was is the exciting young rookie who looked really strong earlier in the season. However, he struggled with fumbles, and he has been rather unimpressive of late. Now Justin Jackson comes in and has more like the, the two-thirds share of that backfield, it looks like, uh, was the preferred receiving weapon, and you know outrushed um, Josh Kelly as well. So, Jeff, is, Josh, is Justin Jackson all of a sudden back as the RB2 behind Austin Eckler whenever he's healthy? Obviously, he's not, so... It's Justin Jackson, someone that you're targeting this week on the waiver wire instead of one of those Minnesota guys. I mean, he should be played right, like rostered and started week in and week out until Eckler gets back. If and when Eckler gets back, um, I'm not entirely sure. Yes, Jackson looks better than Kelly, but his skill set is a lot more similar to Eckler's. So, like, I almost it almost seems like Jackson is the direct backup to um, Eckler. And then Kelly is just like the complimentary thunder to whoever that is starting lightning. The concern would be that if Eckler gets back, then like that 
Eckler's workload that he was seeing pre-injury drops to like 70%. Jackson picks up 30%. And then you still have Kelly in there, like vulturing another 20, 30% of the work, especially those valuable touches inside the five. And then it's just becomes fantasy hell, just like we're seeing the Baltimore Ravens backfield. It's an, it's an interesting situation. I think at the very least, Justin Herbert gives um, some hope for any share of the Chargers offense to potentially uh, play out any given week because we've just seen him exceed expectations, honestly, is an understatement. So um, speaking of exceeding expectations, Jeff, let's move on to the wide receiver, uh, wide receiver position and talk about one of our guys, uh, Chase Claypool. He was a prospect that I was all over. We talked about him a couple times already this season. He's been in the Contested Catch-Up, our weekly newsletter. Um, you know, just an absolute freak athlete. He profiles a lot like Evan Ingram, except he's even faster, um, more explosive. And that was on full display in week five. He has now had a catch, uh, of 25 or 24 or more yards in every single game that he's played so far, obviously week four by, and everything came to fruition in week five, uh, seven catches, 110 yards, three touchdowns on 11 targets. That's the biggest thing. I mean, people will point all, all the touchdowns. 11 targets for him. Deontay Johnson went out pretty early with a back injury. Claypool was a wide receiver one in week five against Philly. Jeff, how excited are you about the Chase Claypool era appearing to begin in Pittsburgh? Uh, a lot less than you. <laughs> the Deontay Johnson injury and Juju like barely even got the ball. So... I think factoring in that Deontay will be back maybe even this week. They're not going to completely ignore Juju. Um, I mean, he he might still – I could still see him, you know, being like startable as uh, kind of like, you know, obviously high-ceiling wide receiver three from a season-long standpoint. But, I mean, if Deontay's back, I also kind of feel like in, at least in like in a dynasty sell standpoint, maybe even season-long, he could be a – like you know, sell high. I saw someone rank him as like a top 15 dynasty wide receiver after Sunday's game, which to me is still just like crazy. I think, uh, I think the appeal with Claypool comes from the fact that like his, his ceiling, the ceiling of his profile with the size and the explosiveness and the athleticism. Um, and in that offense that we know is super high volume, in, even in his rookie year is like Martavis Bryant, you know, and then some, because he is a big play threat every single time he gets the ball. Uh, and he's getting the receptions. He's getting the usage of the only field stretcher for Pittsburgh right now. Everything else is either a run or typically a shallow pass to Deontay Johnson or Juju Smith Schuster. Eric Ebron hasn't been a big factor. He hasn't looked very good. And James Washington is just kind of being phased out. Uh, as Chase Claypool's emerging. So to me, I'm actually very excited about Claypool because we know about the prospect profile already, but now we actually are seeing volume associated with it. You know, if his targets go down from 11 in week five to something like five or six a week, considering the value of those targets, I still think he's a decent bet uh, for a, a, a solid game. And if anything happens where the pecking order shifts in Pittsburgh or Juju gets hurt or Deontay gets hurt again, um, I think that Chase Claypool is a very interesting buy. I'm I'm willing to be aggressive on on him uh, on the waiver wire this week. Um, let's shift over now to Mike Williams, a somewhat similar player. They're both six four, both big play threats. Uh, Mike Williams, obviously, much further along in his career. Keenan Allen goes out with an injury, 
in week five. And Mike Williams does not disappoint. Um, he, uh, unfortunately for the chargers in terms of real football, um, you know, he didn't convert that, that last first down, but he also made the play that basically got them in position to win at the end of the game in the first place. So five catches, 109 yards, two touchdowns, eight targets, really good final line. But Jeff, what concerns me is that it took overtime and a Keenan Allen injury for Mike Williams to get eight targets. What is your take on the Mike Williams situation in Los Angeles? That was just what you alluded to. Like, you know, as impressive as he did look on those plays, I don't think we're really going to be able to bank on any real consistent volume. Um, unless Allen's injury is worse than it appears. Sounds like it was just back spasm, so he should be back um, next game. And Anthony Lynn is still like doesn't want to like, just let Herbert ball out because Herbert looks fantastic. And I mean, with his downfield passing, I really think they could complement each other well if they change the offense that way. But I don't know, like how really, you know, how much you'll be able to depend on him week in and week out. Like, I mean, best ball format, but you know, it's too late for that right now. Yeah. Um, I think that the, the, the bull case for Mike Williams is that I tweeted this as well. Justin Herbert's skill set is exactly the type of thing that Mike Williams needs to do what he does really well um, on a more consistent basis. Justin Herbert throws the ball really well deep so far. And he's been very willing to air it out. Mike Williams is especially good on deep jump balls. Um, he's just been good at, good at that his whole career. It's kind of been his, uh, the role that he's been pigeonholed into uh, with the Chargers. But with that said, Justin Herbert seems like that's a good fit there while Keenan Allen continues to gobble up underneath targets. We'll see. I would say this. If you expect anything but a high volatility performer from Mike Williams, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Um, speaking of volatility, Jeff, Brandon cooks, eight catches, 161 yards and a touchdown on 12 targets in week five against Jacksonville. I mean, I wouldn't say this came out of nowhere. I've been very bearish on Brandon cooks all season. Basically. Um, he's had kind of alternating weeks of, of crappy play, you know, two catches, 20 yards in week one, week three and four, he combined for three catches and 23 yards. Week two against Baltimore, five for 95 on eight targets. You know, when he's been getting more than five targets, he's actually been pretty good. And he made some big plays in traffic. Is it time for to reconsider Brandon Cooks as a uh, an enticing fantasy weapon again as his rapport with Deshaun Watson improves? I think so. Um, you know, you need to consider that it was a game against Jacksonville. But you, on the flip side, you have to consider that their opening slate of games was among, if not the toughest in the NFL. Uh, now, there's no more Bill O'Brien. I would presume that can only be a good thing. Um, and like I said, easier schedule going forward. I mean, not easier than Jacksonville, but easier than how they started. And I do think you can, you know, if you, assuming you held on to him, there's hope that he'll kind of return. You know, I mean, wide receiver two going forward is possible. I'd maybe still bank on like higher end wide receiver three as like current valuation, um, especially because we know Will Fuller is going to be there too. But um, I mean, I, I really do kind of like this offense in general as a buy high or buy low. Um, David Johnson's a little bit of a tough one because I see a lot of indicators that he should be doing better like half higher rushing production that he hasn't really been bad but now duke johnson is back to take away some of the passing work that he was getting 
Um, but like other than that, I mean, I, I think the toughest part of the like the season's behind them. No more Bill O'Brien. It should be um, things should be going in the right direction for this offense. I agree. I like buying shares of the Texans, um, especially Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks. But one thing to note, I mean, again, I was bearish on Brandon Cooks in the first game post Bill O'Brien, where the kind of the new era, let's say, or at least the rest of 2020 should look more like week five than it did the first four weeks, uh, especially as the schedule lightens up. Will Fuller saw eight targets. Brandon Cooks saw 12. Uh, You know, Cooks is obviously has been a really good player for his whole career when he's been healthy. So maybe uh, maybe I'm wrong about that situation. Um, last one on wide receivers here. Sammy Watkins went out with a hamstring injury. He looked to be in a lot of pain. He was grabbing uh, his upper hamstring on the back of his leg, obviously. Um, and we know that Miko Hardman is probably the most explosive playmaker, maybe next to Andy Isabella that gets hardly used at all. (laughs) I think that's a pretty fair uh, way to articulate his role. And, you know, now I think Miko Hardman uh, might be the guy that that emerges as the biggest benefactor of Sammy Watkins' absence. Um, I think that at the very least, he's worth a speculative ad. And honestly, especially if you have Patrick Mahomes and you need a flex this week, I think you could do worse than Miko Hardman. He has been used like Tyreek in the red zone with these jet sweeps and this motion. Um, and, you know, we know how explosive he is with 4-3 speed in this offense. I'm totally excited about Miko Hardman potentially experiencing his breakout. We'll see. I'm excited. I'm optimistic. I am not banking on it, though. Um, and so there's that. Demarcus Robinson is going to just smother the Nicole Hardman I mean, it's definitely possible. We've seen Demarcus Robinson. Demarcus Robinson is basically like Sammy Watkins light in terms of him having one enormous game every year. (laughs) I guess it's just the uh, Chiefs like wide receiver roulette for DFS. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for DFS, you you really can't go wrong in the sense of just getting a cheap share when there is one. Um, Jeff, let's shift over to tight ends here. I've only got one for you, and that's Austin Hooper. And I was actually very, I was very tepid about Austin Hooper early in the season. I did not like what I saw, especially once David Njoku went down with an injury. But Austin Hooper's targets have climbed every single week of the season. He's gone from two in week one to four, four, seven, and now 10 in week five. He also tied his season high with five catches in week five. He set a new season high in in receiving yards with 57. It's more like there is still room to buy Austin Hooper if you are so inclined. This is also with David Njoku back in the lineup. So his his actual, I think his routes run and snaps went down a little bit relative to where they had been, but he was used as the most targeted weapon in Cleveland. And I actually think that Austin Hooper, uh, I think that this is kind of correlated with Nick Chubb not being in the lineup because Kareem Hunt uh, being more of the rushing threat uh, I think is just generally going to allow someone else to emerge as potentially that short yardage or intermediate safety blanket for Baker Mayfield while Odell and, J- and Jarvis Landry stretch the field a little bit more. So Jeff, is it finally time to consider Austin Hooper on that tight end one borderline once again? Um, I mean, sure. Like after you get past that top four or five, it's really just kind of a mess. Uh, you know, the one thing that would give me a little bit of pause about getting two bullish off of this game 
is like as we mentioned indianapolis's linebackers were like all banked up so that does also just kind of leave the middle of the field open for the tight end to exploit um but i mean it's still like the steady increase in usage is um you know it's worth noting for sure uh it's just also tough that's going to be such a run heavy offense and like you've got pretty small pie to uh divvy up between Odell, Landry, Hooper, Hunt in the past game still too. Whereas like last year he was in Arizona or um, Atlanta and you had a huge pie. It was basically just Julio, Ridley. Um, I mean, after, uh, yeah, and Hooper. So, um, you know, it feels like you've got, you know, smaller pie that's getting divided up into more mouths. I'm still like, you're not going to see what you saw last year, but I mean, you still could get, you know, like you said, kind of maybe that lower end tight end one with, you know, a spike week here or there, which I mean, it's kind of just what you hope for if you don't go after one of the big names. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's rostered in just over half of ESPN league. So I think there's a decent chance to pick him up. And I'll, you know, if you have any sort of tight end injury or uh, skepticism about the guy you're currently deploying, Austin Hooper's at least worth a look as his volume continues to ascend. Um, Jeff, moving on to quarterbacks, I just have a quick one here, and that is that guys like Fitzmagic and Ryan Tannehill should have already been on your streaming radar if they weren't already, you know, especially Tannehill if he wasn't already in consideration uh, for a roster spot. But now enter Andy Dalton, who comes in obviously in relief of Dak. We're going to talk about the rest of the Dallas skill position players uh, and the fallout from Dak's injury. But for the moment, let's just focus on Andy Dalton. Is he someone that you would consider as a streaming option, considering how talented this this Dallas skill uh, skill group is and how bad that Dallas defense is, therefore leading to a lot of high-scoring affairs. Is Andy Dalton someone you'd consider as a streamer? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, by no means is he going to like duplicate, replicate Dak's production, but uh, as a streamer off the waiver wire, yeah, I mean, it's really tough to get a ton better than Dalton. I mean, Fitz and Tannehill, as you mentioned, have been fantastic, but yeah, that's a phenomenal supporting cast. We've seen him play well in Cincinnati, but he had a really good supporting cast around him. Um, you know, I do think that the Cowboys will probably lean towards Zeke a little bit more to not put as much on Dalton. And the offensive line is also really banged up uh, with both starting tackles out, which will probably lower the ceiling a little bit as well. So, but, in terms of just kind of being like that lower end QB one or, you know, upside streaming, depending on the matchup. Yeah. Like Dalton's kind of basically what you look for. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. So let's move on to fantasy football storylines here, Jeff. And I'm going to start with one uh, about Le'Veon Bell. Obviously he was released by the jets. If you were not aware of this, uh, this could potentially be a good thing for, well, I think probably is a good thing for Le'Veon Bell's stock. Um, he's currently unemployed. But Jeff, you were a big believer in Bell's 2019 being much better than it looked when you factored in the play of the offensive line and the play of the offense as a whole. I think it's say, not to tout too much, but I think it's say I was right about fading Bell hard in 2020. Now we have a chance to reset uh, our takes and our you know opinion of this player in 2020 um, as he could land a number of different places. What is your updated opinion on Le'Veon Bell and where do you think he might be able to land that isn't Kansas City or Philadelphia? 
Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, I think the, the talent is still there, as I've mentioned, like in the off season that I was basically, my stance was, I think that he's still talented and you have to look beyond the box score of, you know, three point, whatever yards per carry. Um, so, you know, that being said, we're five weeks into the season getting a landing spot where he's going to step into the 70 plus percent workload isn't, um, you know, that promising. So, um, as you said, in Kansas city, I do think is actually a really good landing spot for him because well, it's he, good for anyone. He does have that three down skill set, And I mean, like, so, you know, you can work him this slot, you can move him all over the, the field and make, they, they keep taking Edward Solaire off in, um, like obvious passing down work. So you, now you have Bell who can start just becoming like a three down back and you could in, increase the pace a little bit. Um, otherwise, I mean, Tampa Bay seems to just really keep accumulating running back. So if, <laughs> if we wanted to nuke everyone's That'd be fan, comical. Uh, fantasy value, um, I've seen Pittsburgh thoughts out. Apparently they actually explored trading for him last year and it doesn't really seem like the bridges were burned. So perhaps he just goes back to Pittsburgh. Um, I actually think that makes a lot of sense because Benny Snell, remember that whole time, that whole era where Benny Snell was like this enormous buy and people thought he was going to usurp James Conner, a healthy James Conner in that backfield. Well, it didn't happen. Um, you know, as you could see from week two on, James Conner has looked pretty good. Um, Anthony McFarland's looked okay, I guess, for a rookie that didn't have super high expectations. I think Pittsburgh's actually a pretty interesting landing spot. Um, I think that would just be... Um, at, at the very least, bolstering depth at a position that Pittsburgh values. They're going to get him for cheap. Uh, I think the fan base would probably like it, and I think he would probably like it. He's got a lot of comfort. The same whole situation is really there. Um, it would absolutely nuke James Conner's stock, I think, though. He would fall down to like a flex RB3 guy if Le'Veon Bell came in because it just wouldn't be the expectation that they wouldn't they wouldn't bring Bell back and not use him. Um, but okay, good stuff. Um Circling back a little bit to Dallas here, I know we already talked about uh, Andy Dalton's outlook. Dak's injury, obviously terrible. We feel terrible for him. Hope he gets his contract. Hope he comes back. I think he's going to be completely fine for 2021 and going forward. So uh, in in terms of dynasty, definitely still like Dak's outlook. Um, But in terms of 2020, Andy Dalton is now under center. Uh, CD Lamb has been ascend- uh, ascending and continues to look like the wide receiver one in this rookie class. Continues to look like a wide receiver two in fantasy, I think. Um, and obviously, Amari Cooper just was peppered with unbelievable volume, f- uh, fueling his uh, continuation of wide receiver one status. Michael Gallup actually looked pretty decent in those last two plays with Andy Dalton. So, what is your updated status uh, or updated? opinion on dallas's playmakers um yeah i think the pecking order still goes cooper lamb gallup um you know i think the target share was split evenly at three apiece when dalton but i don't read too much into that you know we're going with a really small sample size there um i, I would say you probably have to knock them all down though like i don't know 10 percent maybe i still like cooper a lot i still like lamb a lot Gallup has sort of been the odd man out so far this year. And like I said, I don't think, no, if the volume's quite going to be there the way it was to start the season, which would make him like really just kind of a flex wide receiver three play without a ton of confidence. Who knows? Maybe that'll change. Maybe Gallup will be the target that Dalton likes more. I mean, we'll find out, but pecking order, I think is the same. Like I said, it kind of just like 
temper expectations by like 10% of what you were getting. I think Andy Dalton, I think this offense is probably going to look a little bit more like what some of these pundits are talking about, where they're leaning more on the run, trying to set up play action, you know, the same old stuff that we're used to with Dallas, which is obviously unfortunate. Um, I would say I expect the same thing that you basically just said. Amari Cooper continues to get volume. CeeDee Lamb continues to be really efficient. And uh, Michael Gallup continues to be a volatile deep threat for this offense. So um, well put, Jeff. And let's move on to Arizona. Um, Jeff, I, man, I mean, I don't think that we could have been more right about Arizona going into the season based on our fading of the last eight games with where Kenny Drake was an RB1, um, you know, his absolute stud in Arizona. You and I were not buying it um, all summer. We basically were saying we're fading Kenny Drake. I was all over Chase Edmonds as, you know, a riser in my rankings as well, because it just didn't, you know, if, if we don't believe in Kenny Drake's grip on the RB1 role, and we think Chase Edmonds is, is you know, threatening that, then obviously we, we want him on, on teams as well as probably the highest upside uh, handcuff there was. But I don't even think Chase Edmonds is a handcuff anymore, Jeff. He is taking over in Arizona right now. I mean, the, the, the snap share is getting more and more even. Chase Edmonds is the passing down the receiving back in Arizona and Kenny Drake finally fell into a touchdown, but Chase Edmonds looked way more explosive in week five as well. What is your thought on Chase Edmonds as, you know, maybe starting to emerge as the RB one a in Arizona? Yeah. So I was looking at some of the uh, next gen stats, expected rushing yards model and results um, the other day or over this past weekend. And Kenyon Drake is one of the worst backs in the league with this. Um, his like app, like percent of carries over expected is towards the bottom and his like yards over expected is, um, also like just awful. Um, Michael Lopez, who works for the NFL stats, tweeted out graphs, like it was cumulative, like rushing yards over expected over the season. And for Drake, it was kind of like, it was like kind of like a little bit below average kind of like, you know, going down for like the first three weeks and then weeks four and five it just falls off a cliff um so yeah it's basically we have a large sample size of him not being a good player we have a small sample size of him being really good in arizona last year and this you know example of buying the situation over the talent and you know when you're in the top two rounds of the draft it's a pretty risky bet as we're seeing right now um so i mean i don't think it's ideal um you know like i said i think Edmonds, like as we kind of said like we thought felt like if there was a gap in talent between the two it was minimal and now we're seeing that Edmonds really just looks to be the more talented back yeah uh he's been more explosive he has been uh the preferred receiving option i mean listen to this jeff Kenyon drake has six targets through five games in 2020 he's played every game Chase Edmonds had six targets in week five alone. He had five catches, 56 yards. He's also had two receiving touchdowns on the year. I mean, honestly, I mean, I feel terrible if I am a Kenyon Drake owner right now because I don't see this really getting better. He's still getting rushing volume, but how long until Cliff says, hey, we're going to move on to that guy? Because that's what happened with David Johnson, right? David Johnson was injured and then he came back and he was phased out. And Kenny Drake was the preferred option. Cliff Kingsburg. And, you know, the other thing, this is one of the big things for me as well. They did not commit to Kenny Drake in the offseason. They gave him the transition tag. They talked about making him part of their future. 
but they did not give him that contract. And to me, that signaled that they want him to actually prove it over the course of a year. And guess what? Right now, it's looking like Chase Edmonds is uh, is the guy to own. So we'll see. I mean, yeah, you know. I just pulled up the next gen stats table. So Kenyon Drake, 28% of his carries are going for um, positive yards over expected among ball carriers with 30 carries. That is the fourth worst in the league. It is just above Miles Sanders and Devonta Freeman. It is below Adrian Peterson, Benny Snell, and Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Not good. And thing is, at least someone like Miles Sanders, like who hasn't had much consistency, he at least has provided a couple of like spike plays to you know like that seventy yard run for a touchdown to at least like have like the boom plays for some fancy value. And you know Drake's not even giving us that. Um. All right. Let's move on to New Orleans now. And Michael Thomas uh, got in a fight with his teammate at practice then was suspended by the team. He missed week five. Now they're on by in week six. He also said on Twitter that he had a setback and was just going to grit it out and then, or gut it out and then uh, heal up over the bye. Jeff, I mean, how concerned are you about the wide receiver that, you know, many consider to be the wide receiver one coming into this year after such a crazy 2019? There is a lot of red flags going on right now. And, not, you know, I didn't even mention the fact that Drew Brees and this offense have looked not at all like uh, a share of something that you want going forward, uh, you know, through five weeks so far. So Michael Thomas, is he even a wide receiver one to you right now? Yeah, no, he, he still has to be a wide receiver one once he gets back. Um, I saw this hilarious story on Twitter or I guess tweet on Twitter um, the other day. It says when um, Michael Thomas was at Ohio State, he almost ruined Eli Apple, would dominate him on every route, and throw the ball at him after making each catch run over to the defensive coordinator and tell him to recruit a defensive back that can guard me. <laughs> oh, that's badass. So that's badass. Like, I think the dude might be a sociopath, um, which is also part of what it takes to be that good of a player. So, um, but you also kind of wonder, I mean, I don't want to say he's going to turn out like Antonio Brown because that's just a whole nother level of, like insanity but i mean it just kind of like you know from the outside looking in which is maybe just like a little bit of a one-off thing you know you know they'll be fine going forward like could he really just be like that volatile where you know you, you put up with the talent for as long as you can but there's going to be a breaking point i mean i have literally no idea uh it's just i think it's something i'm going to be i mean maybe like paying attention to um, you know, but for the 2020 fantasy season, um, you know, as soon as he's back, he's going near lineup. Um, you know, the high ankle sprain will be six weeks removed, I think, when he's back on the field, which is kind of like really the timeline that you look for for players to start turning things around. Um, you know, like, uh, it was Barkley last year who came back in about four, but it still took three weeks of like meddling production before he started looking more like his old self. I think with Thomas having the extended recovery, you shouldn't need to worry about that too much. Maybe there'll be a year, but the fact that it sounded like he was practicing and should have been ready to go this week, um, you know, I think the injury is probably behind him at this point. I will say uh, last last two ones that I want to bring up here, actually three, we saw some big performances in week five uh, from DK Metcalf and Jonu Smith. Now, DK Metcalf led we all, all players in rock through – uh, in week five, he had 93 yards receiving, six receptions for 
and two touchdowns, but he had 11 targets, which was 32% air yard share. He had almost 50% air yard share uh, in week five alone and four red zone targets. So DK Metcalf looking like a wide receiver one based on this usage, uh, absolute stud. And, you know, we knew that this was uh, in, in the realm of possibilities. So not surprised there. Metcalf is just like a little bit of letting up from, you know, two yards from the end of away from being the overall wide receiver one so far. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, you know, Russ has played an MVP level. Tyler Lockett has been a stud. They're now on their bye, but I don't think that there's any question that DK Metcalf is a buy, basically, almost in any scenario. And in the, um, from a dynasty perspective, he might be the wide receiver one right now. Yeah, I think he's definitely up there. Um, I mean, his, his quarterback doesn't show any signs of slowing down. This offense is is in on the up swing as well. And obviously, his talent is apparent to anyone who turns on the tape. From a dynasty perspective, who would you put over Metcalf right now? It's got to be a pretty short I list. I think you can make it. Yeah, very, very, very short list. Uh, I think you could make a case for CeeDee Lamb. Um, but like you said, very, very short list, if any at all. Um, another guy who had a huge week five, Jeff, was Jonu Smith, obviously against our Bills. Uh, two more touchdowns, continued to look like a really, really good weapon for Ryan Tannehill. Um, is he now a top five tight end option for you going forward? So top four would be Kelsey, Kittle, Andrews Waller. Yep. And then that would mean John is the number one out of all remaining tight ends. Which, mm-hmm. I mean, I think he could be. Um, I mean, I I think he's a baller. So, and Tannehill, you know, he's looking pretty much like he did last year. So, I mean, I could absolutely see it. The one thing that, you know, we should note is that Corey Davis and Adam Humphreys were both out. So if they return, they'll probably see a little bit more of a target share. But I mean, I, in terms of just being kind of that second tier of tight ends that you're just going to plug in week in, week out. Yeah, he's there. Yep, I agree with you. Um, all right, last couple quick hitters here before we wrap up. Um, Tyreek Hill, all I'm going to say is air yards. Um, he was third in the league in air yards. He saw an A dot over. 26 uh in week five alone so he looks like he's on the precipice of another enormous week like we're used to seeing for him so i would not give up on tyreek hill yet i'd also say tyler higby's stock is you know through the floor right now gerald everett very limited action but actually did well with four catches on four targets for 90 yards um so the rams offense is is very concerning i think overall with how conservative it's been and tyler higby that three touchdown game feels like a, a year ago um jeff any final thoughts here as we wrap up our week five recap well i mean i'm just kind of glad that hopefully the worst of uh this whole covid fiasco is behind us and you know teams will learn from tennessee's mistakes and you know not to say we won't have a couple like individual cases for up here and there but like you know hopefully we just don't have like a full team outbreak the way we just did yep absolutely um, we hope that, you know, everything will continue to go smoothly like it did at the start of the season. Um, but yeah, that'll do it for episode 50 of Contested Catch. Wow, it feels good to say. Uh, make sure to tune in for our week six buys and sells, which we're recording later uh, with Kyle Singer. Sign up for the Contested Catch Up, which is our weekly newsletter that also comes out on Thursdays as well. Um, and make sure to check out the rock tool, contestedcatch.com forward slash rock and the DFS optimizer tool contestedcatch.com forward slash DFS. 
Uh, that's all of our stuff right now. And, you know, we're excited for week six coming up. So we'll be back on Friday with another episode to preview the weekend ahead. Thank you all for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed and we will catch you next time. Thank you.